0: on with the episode vibrant 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 Vibrant. music teaching proven and practical tips strategies and ideas for music teachers this is the vibrant music teaching podcast i'm nicola canton and today we're talking about how improvisation and creative activities can improve memorization Back, lovely teachers. I hope you're having a wonderful week, month, year. Today, we're talking about creative activities, but specifically for memorization. So, this is based around a guest post which comes out on the blog today as I'm releasing this podcast by a guest writer, Rachel Palm, is writing for us. And I think it's a fascinating subject. Basically, what Rachel is sharing is her experience with bringing creative activities into her lessons, and how that affected her students confidence with playing pieces from memory at a recital. So it's a very interesting way to look at it. And I definitely see where she's coming from. And probably looking back over my own teaching, it is true for me too. I think for Rachel, was more obvious because she very specifically brought these activities in and noticed the difference, you know, one year in. So it was more of a dramatic change, whereas maybe I changed these, gradually introduce these kinds of things more incrementally over time. So fascinating to hear her approach. You can read the blog post to get it from her perspective, of course, but I'm just going to share here on the podcast my take on some of the activities that she's sharing and, yeah, the influence they've had on memorization. Now, Rachel starts the article talking about scrolling through Facebook and stumbling upon a video of a seven year old playing confidently for a minute and a half with no music in front of him and how he just smiled after the performance and looked so confident. And she thought, how can I get that for my students? And I think many of us can resonate with this, right? Especially if maybe like me, you're not as strong of a memorizer yourself. It can be a bit of a, not a sore point, but like a weak point or an insecurity that we have with our teaching that we're thinking, it takes so much to get my student to perform a piece half polished. How do teachers get these students to play so well? And for Rachel, she discovered the idea of improvising sort of coming first and this idea of seeing music as a language She discovered that through Marilyn Lowe's work, which she has a method called Music Moves for Piano. And it's really the piano method for the Gordon principles of the um, music learning theory. So that's one place you can get this from. I feel like a lot of people sort of arrive at similar conclusions in different ways. I know there are many people who'll be listening saying, no, Gordon is the best okay, that's fine. (laughs) But I feel like the reason a lot of people do have a similar message about music being a language, us not focusing entirely on reading because if people can't speak a language, they shouldn't be reading it first. So in music, if we can't play anything, we shouldn't be reading music. If we can't, you know, improvise, converse, arrange our own music, create our own music. The reason a lot of people arrive at that conclusion in the rough sense, is probably because there's something to it. Yes. (laughs) So for Rachel, she came at this from Marilyn Lowe's work. All I'm saying is there's many ways to arrive at this idea of, hey, improvisation needs to be included into lessons. We need to get students being more creative. We need to give them rhythm vocabulary. We need to have them understand music off the page either before understanding it on the page or in conjunction with that, but it should be something we're working on developing, not entirely through written music. So with that in mind, she started bringing in these musical activities, these creative activities to her lessons. Now, what I think was really interesting, explain some of the activities she was doing, but what struck me reading this article was part of this is this idea of Doing creative things with the pieces. I think part of the success with these pieces in the recital may have been, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but I think part of it may have been just actually spending more time with the pieces with the student in an engaged state. So I think a lot of teachers assign specific pieces for a recital. I don't, so this is, yeah, coming at it from the outside, but. A lot of teachers do assign a specific piece of a recital and then the student has to prepare that piece. And yes, you will focus on it and you'll practice it together and you'll do various things. But what Rachel is doing with these activities is actually messing with the piece. And by messing with the piece, she's getting the student to actually be engaged the whole time. We all know that feeling, maybe from our own lessons, of just going through the motions with a piece of music, especially one we've been working on for a long time. And I would say in many cases, especially if it's on where a lot of pressure is placed on us, we can kind of zone out as a bit of a defense mechanism. So as well as these activities being creative and introducing the idea of improvisation, which helps students understand the pieces better, they're also playful and therefore the student stays in the present moment a lot more, I think. So some of the ideas she did with these pieces, once a student has learned a piece, she would ask them to hear their version. So start messing with it, start changing a few things in the piece. They can change the octave in certain parts, vary the dynamics add a repetition. So I do believe in students learning to play pieces true to the score. I also believe in them being able to mess with them. And most contemporary composers that I know are delighted when they hear students' own version of pieces, right? They're not offended by that. Now, who's to know what Beethoven would have thought? But honestly, I think we're better off for having our students be able to play it exactly as the composer intended, but also be able to put their own stamp on it. Students who can only play exactly what is on the page and are afraid to break out of that have a very rigid view of what music is. The other thing Rachel had them do was to start connecting and comparing two pieces. I thought this was really interesting. So anytime the student has mastered two pieces, they're practicing them back to back, listening to them back to back, then talking about what is different. So the meter, the dynamics, the mood, the modality, all that good stuff. And then they can make changes to make them sound more similar or more different. So that's just a little way of putting a creative stamp on something. It's not full on improvisation. It's not taking away a whole chunk of the piece and saying, write your own this part, but it's just little ways. And for many students, that's more comfortable than a much more open, you can improvise in all these different ways, open playing field. And the next activity Rachel had them do was combine pieces, so creating mashups. I love this as well. We did this as a big studio sort of project a couple of years in my studio, but something that I need to do in my teaching more often. So they would pick favorite parts of the pieces, or you can do it with whole pieces, and then find a way to join them together. You can talk about what you might like to change about the two pieces to make them more similar, to make them gel together better, or you could come up with a little in-between bit that's going to take you from one to the other. But this will help students to think even more about the theory, right? Really what they're doing here is score analysis, just in a really fun way, because they have to understand the two pieces to be able to slot them together or change elements of them or play them back to back and make them more similar, more different. You have to understand what's going on to be able to do that. So Rachel goes on to describe how the recital that she had after her students were doing these kinds of activities was just completely different to the others. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I'm going to add a couple of suggestions of other creative things you can do to really work on pieces. So one thing I love to do is to take a piece that a student knows, especially if they have memorized it, and take away the melody hand, normally the right hand. And have them improvise instead of playing that melody. But keep their left hand, or the the hand that has the accompaniment in the piece, the same. So this does two things. It gets them out of a bind if they do get stuck. That they understand the structure and they can kind of make up something that makes sense. To get to the next bit they know. But also, crucially, it has them do extra practice on the normally weaker hand in terms of memorization so most students if you get them to just um, play a piece that they know quite well but haven't specifically memorized if you get them to start at the beginning they'll get a little bit of the way through and then their right hand will keep going but they'll have forgotten the rest of the left hand ever had that happen it's because our ear is hooking on to that right hand or the melody line that's going on and so we forget the rest of it So it's actually the oral memory there that is missing. And by having them practice the complement hand, whatever the structure may be of the piece, whatever is not the melody, while improvising, they get to see it differently and really strengthen that memory of the other hand. Now, another thing that you can do for memorization is to make it more playful. So these creative activities, as I said, Yes, they are creative and that's a great thing about it and it is making the student think more critically about the pieces. But also just making your practice, especially of performance pieces, more playful will help your student to be a more confident performer and to be able to play more confidently from memory. So something as simple as splitting the piece up into sections, six sections and rolling a die, or you can do 12 sections and roll dice... So you don't want them to practice the first one anyway. It's normally the strongest, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you use two dice. And have them then practice starting at that spot or doing that from memory can be a great way to do it. Anything you can do to introduce play, to keep the student on their toes, to keep them thinking, is going to have a lot of the same benefits that Rachel talked about in this article as well. I would love to hear this week about the effect that improvisation or other creative activities has had in your studio? Maybe it is on performances, but maybe it's some other aspect of your studio, maybe that surprised you, you didn't expect for improvisation to affect. I would love to hear about that impact that it's had in your studio. You can share that with us over on our Instagram, we're at Keys. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up.